Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good. Excited for another episode of Grimm. Oh, yeah. Weekly amazing time that we've got going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I did text you earlier. I'm going to butcher all these names. The They're Italian. I don't speak Italian. Yeah, it do be like that. A recipe for disaster. So that's going to be my little warning at the beginning. All right. Uh, but yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grimm. Woo! Okay, so um, today we're going to be talking about Melina Quaglini. I really hope I'm saying her name correctly. Um, and she murdered three men in the late 1990s. Okay. Um, she was born on March 25th, 1957, in Italy, in a place called Mezzanino. Mezzanino? I'm so sorry. Shame. Um, but so not, not too much is known about her early life. Um, Mostly it's just that her father was a violent man. Uh, he was prone to like angry outbursts and he just was also described as um, very jealous, very obsessive, not the best home situation to be in. Yeah. Um, and she went to school and when she graduated, she graduated at the age of 19 with an accounting degree. Wow. And like right after that, basically, she kind of ended up running away from home to live in northern Italy, which makes sense, mm-hmm. um, given what we know about her father. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she got her degree and she left. And when she left, she ended up finding some work. Um, I don't really think it had to do with her degree, though. She was like a cashier, a caregiver, a cleaning lady, like just kind of like oh, okay. working mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um and there she ended up meeting a man and marrying him and falling in love and things were really good for her um like she was really happy um she even had a son with this man her first husband i'm guessing it does not stay this good (laughs) no it's really really sad actually um It wasn't too long after they were married when her husband died of severe and sudden-onset diabetes. Oh, God. Yeah, and it hit her really hard. Like, she became really depressed. Um, She started to drink heavily, and then then I think she, like, even got on, like, antidepressants and stuff. Um, Like, it was bad for her. Um, Later on, she actually described this as the quote-unquote only happy time in her life. Yeah, and it's it's so sad that like if if that didn't happen to him, she probably would have just been happy for the rest of her life. That would be good. Um, but yeah, it hit her really hard, and I don't think she wanted to stay in that area anymore. Um, she ended up moving south of Milan, where she found a job, another one, and there she met a man called Mario Fogli. He became her second husband. And while she worked a couple of jobs, like, he occasionally found work as a truck driver. Um, I'm not actually sure how well 
that pays. Hmm. I feel like it's not too much. Yeah. Um, but they she, were happy for a little bit, like, during their honeymoon phase and everything. Um, and she still has her son? Yeah, yeah, okay. her son is still with her, her first son. Um, yeah, so they were, they were, they were pretty happy for a bit, it, but I think it was just, like, um, like a little honeymoon phase type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, yeah. And then, unfortunately, sooner rather than later, he ended up showing his true colors. Um, he was obsessive, closed off emotionally unavailable, jealous. He was also an alcoholic. Um, Yikes. A combination of not good things for her. Yeah. Um, he also forced her to leave her job because for some reason he was convinced that a woman who was working and who had a job would end up cheating on her husband. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she wanted to make him happy. So she did what he asked, and she left her job and kind of just, like, stayed at home and everything, kind of became, like, a housewife or whatever. Um, and she did get pregnant shortly after. Unfortunately, her first son was also living with them because, like, he wasn't old enough to go off on his own, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he was involved with her new husband, and he was treated really badly. Mm-hmm. Um Fogley abused him and even did the same thing that he did to his mother. He forced him to leave his studies to start, like, working to support the family. So, like, kind of same but opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, he couldn't continue his education anymore. He was, like, kind of forced into, like, working. And I guess that was because being a part-time truck driver, like, wouldn't pay all the bills. I don't know. Yeah. And she wasn't working anymore because he was like, you're going to start cheating on me. Um, during this time Quaglini had her second child and was pregnant with the third Um, the second two the second and the third were from her marriage to um, Fogli Um, and then kind of the breaking point at this marriage was when a bailiff ended up coming to their house because there was this like series of debts that Fogley had not paid yet um so I guess the government like came in to seize all their assets um and that kind of just left her way more depressed like just kind of like exhausted um Mm -hmm. with everything that's going on and I really I don't blame her um but she ended up leaving him okay after this uh she moved away and she started work as um a concierge at this like gym so did she bring all three children yeah so i believe she moved there with her daughter oh okay. the one that she had with Fogley. but i'm not actually sure where her other children were at this point none of the things that i read mentioned anything about like the other two it was always just like her youngest daughter oh okay um i hope they didn't have to stay with Fogley though that would have been really bad yeah. for them yeah but like also like as a single mother three kids like yeah that's a lot her life was hard after her first husband died. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you can imagine, her first job as a concierge at a gym didn't really pay that well, especially if she was a woman in mm-hmm. the late 1900s. Like, it wasn't a very good job for her. Um, so she was kind of like scouting around for some new work, and she ended up finding another job as a caregiver for 83 year old Guisto Dalla Poza. Um, and 
he I think kind of came into her life as like a sugar daddy kind of a thing okay um he lent her four million lires and then as like basically I think that was like the promise like of that much money and then like kind of as soon as he lent it to her he tried to blackmail her oh nice yeah so on October 25th 1995 he basically was like you can pay me 500,000 a month or pay me back in another way Uh, yeah and she said no and when she said no to him he tried to rape her Oh, God. Um, she wasn't having it, though. She fought back, and in this fight, she ended up hitting him over the head with a lamp, and then she left, which I completely understand. She must have been yeah. terrified. Yeah. Because, like, first of all, the adrenaline, and second of all, like, the understanding of, like, what just happened. Mm-hmm. I, I don't blame her at all. Um, was it the right thing to do? No. But do I blame her? Also, no. I mean, I don't know. I think if you're just trying to get out of a situation that is dangerous for you, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Kind of got to look out for yourself first. And that, that is true. Thing. Um, she didn't call an ambulance right away though, and I think that was like morally oh. okay. Like that's where I see that like maybe that was a little bit wrong, but I also mm-hmm. don't blame her because like I have no idea what I would do in that situation as well. Like, would that be the first thing on my mind, or would the yeah. first thing on my mind be like I need to leave? This is true. You know. Yeah. Um, but Dalla Pazzo was still alive at this point. She had hit him over the head with a lamp and then just, like, left him bleeding out on the floor. Um, and when she came back a little bit later, she then ended up calling an ambulance for him. He was still alive at that point. But they took him to the hospital, and then he, I think he ended up dying, I think it was 10 days later, or, like, about a week a little bit later than that from his injuries. Okay. Um... At this point, nothing was ever said of it being assault. Um, according to like the what what the doctor said and everything, it ended up being filed as an accidental fall, okay. and it stayed that way until much much later when she confessed. Oh, so okay, so they didn't know that she had hit him in self defense. They just thought it was he fell it, down. Yeah, it looked like a fall. It looked like he had just fallen in his head, which kind of tracks, like, he's 83 years old. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not too out of the ordinary to think that he would have just lost his balance and fallen. Okay. Um, So, yeah, she she was like, I can't stay here anymore. Also understandable. Mm -hmm. But she then kind of made a decision that I would classify as a bad one. Um, She went back to her ex-husband, Mario Fogli. Um, she wanted to reconcile with him. I think it was because her daughters at this point were four and seven years old, respectively. And, um, like, she wanted them to have a family. She didn't like that her family was broken up. Um, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is that Mario Fogli was just not a good man. Mm-mm. So they got back together and it was fine for a little bit. And then the fighting started and she went back to drinking and taking antidepressants. And I think for a period of time, she was also, she was, like, even mixing them. Okay. Um, which is how, like, you know, things were bad. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it was not a good place for her. Mm-hmm. And I highly doubt it was a good place for her children. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, on August 2nd, 1998, 
after another huge fight, she ended up getting very drunk. Um, She then waited for her husband to fall asleep. She put the two girls into bed, and then she took a rope from the blinds and wrapped it around Mario's neck. And I think the attempt here was to scare him into just realizing that, like, he couldn't be mean to her or, like, rude to her or disrespectful to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but he woke up, and it, it ended up in, like, this scuffle, I guess, in which Fogley tried to get the rope off, tried to, like, defend himself against her. Um, and she ended up hitting him over the head with a jewelry box and then strangled him with the shutter rope. Okay. She then took his body and wrapped it in um, a, a carpet. Okay. Like the, she took the body in the sheets, which I think is like she hit him over the head, so there's a little bit of blood on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she like wrapped him up in a carpet and put him on the balcony. And the next morning when her daughters woke up, they had, like, slept through everything. So I guess she kind of told him that, like, you know, everything is normal. You know, your father had to leave early. He's going to be back in the evening. Um, But that very same day at 4 p.m., she called the police and she basically said that she killed her husband. Um, Yeah, and they kept her on the phone. They, like, didn't know if she was, like, joking or something because, like, who calls the police and says that, you know? Yeah. Um, but they they did go to her dress, and I think she gave the phone to her daughters as well so that her daughters, like, they went out on the balcony and they were like, yeah, there's a carpet there and there's a body inside of it. Okay. So the police end up believing her. They go over to her house and they arrested her. In... April of 1999, she was sentenced to 14 years in prison for the murder of her husband. And during that time, her kids were sent to live with um, her sister. So they, sh- they should have been okay. I think that her sister was relatively stable in terms of family life. Um, All right, good. Good, at least. Yeah. Um, so she was sentenced originally to 14 years, and her lawyer was able to plead semi-insanity so then they reduced her sentence to six years and eight months, and they decided that it wasn't going to be in prison. She was going to be sentenced to house arrest. Oh, okay. Um, and I think that was because she was a recovering alcoholic, and she was taking antidepressants and everything. Okay. So they kind of sent her to this, like, recovery community for alcoholics. Okay. Um, it, it didn't really work for her. A few months after she started at this recovery community, she ended up starting drinking again. Um, So they took her to this new community where she met this... um, They have a word for it. I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically like an ex-member of the police department. Um, His name was Salvatore. He offered her, like, I'd want to call it like hospitality. Like, he let her into the community and everything. Um, Two days later, he tried to rape her. Um, I feel like her life is just a series of unfortunate events and it makes me so sad because like she could have been so happy yeah yeah Um, but I don't think that this was successful because she left the community and started looking for a new accommodation through newspaper ads because she was still under house arrest at this time she needed to be 
in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she met Angela Perello through one of these newspaper ads. The advertisement said that he was a 53-year-old man who was separated from his wife, but he had kids, and he was looking for a woman for friendship and coexistence. How old is she at this point? Um, I'm not sure, actually. She was born in 57, and this is a little bit after 99. Oh, okay. So she's like... Like in, yeah, like halfway through 99, so... Okay. Math. I think 40s, right? It should be 40s, because that would be 97, would be 40, so like 42, 43. Okay. Um, yeah, so the thing about Perello is that the reason he was separated from his wife and was looking for someone else was that he was just released from a six-year sentence for repeated sexual assault against his wife. Mm. But Melina didn't know this at the time, so they started dating. Oh, no. On October 6, 1999, her, um, his daughter reported him missing. Okay. The night before, on October 5th, it was evening time. She was actually stopped by the police in his car because she was meant to be under house arrest. Mm-hmm. They arrested her. And so she was in jail in the evening on October 5th. Okay. But in the morning of October 5th, 1999, she killed Perello in his home after he told her to dress provocatively for him, and she said no. Wait, so was she out released from jail? No, so for fam- so basically the timeline is, I feel like I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. In the morning of October 5th, she killed him. In the oh, evening, okay. she was arrested. And on October 6th, in the morning, her, um, he was reported missing. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for frame of reference, when she was stopped in his car and arrested, he was already dead. Okay. So basically what happened was that he kept on asking her to dress in a certain way for him, like provocatively, and when she said no, he started abusing her. Oh, God. And then proceeded to rape her three times. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, after everything... Like kind of calmed down a little bit in the early afternoon she prepared a coffee for him and she had just I guess had enough and she ended up dissolving 20 tranquilizer tablets into his coffee wow so Perella fell asleep and then she moved his body into the bathtub and filled the bathtub with water and then left okay. a few hours later she came back in to check on him and realized that he had drowned okay In the evening, she moved the corpse to the garden, and then she left in his car. On October 20th, two weeks after he died, his corpse was discovered in what they noted as an advanced stage of decomposition. Did she bury him? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So during this time, during this whole two weeks, Quaglini was actually in jail because she had broken house arrest. Mm -hmm. So... She, what she did for this entire two weeks and everything was she would write letters to Perello every single day in the hopes that because she was writing him letters, she could kind of say that she had no idea he died. Okay. Like she didn't know anything about his death. Mm Mm-hmm. And it worked for a while. After he was found, she was not a suspect until November 24th, 
which is like almost a month later when they found the tranquilizers in the house and there were DNA traces that uh-huh. they brought in and that's when she confessed. Okay. Yeah, so they did a whole new psych eval, which had her diagnosed as what they called a psychopathic subject with hysterical disorders. Um, interesting that she confessed to the first murder, or like the first time, the first, second husband that she killed. You know, her second husband, the first husband that she killed. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But this, the, this guy, she, she tried to like, you know, kind of cover it up. She didn't confess to the second guy until, um, the second husband until after this as well. So she confessed to the murders Wait, but, after she was arrested for breaking house arrest. But she called the police on herself. Oh, for the second, for the third husband? For Mario, whatever? Yeah. Oh, I guess the second guy wasn't really a husband, was he? He was just a caretaker. Or an old man. Guy. Yeah, well, yeah, oh, so she did, yeah, so okay. she killed the I old guy, and then her the second husband. she killed, yeah, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, the second guy she killed was her second husband. Yes, it is confusing, because she killed her second husband after she killed someone who wasn't her first husband. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, weird, because, like, she got back together with the second husband. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, but yes, it is interesting that she admitted to one of them, but not Yeah, the I don't two. know why she did that. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so she was, at the time of the murders, they kind of evaluated that she was in control of her actions and that she knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was in prison serving the six years, eight months for Mario Fogli, and they sentenced her to 20 months for Della Posa. Um, I think they called it an excess of self-defense. Um, okay. And then I believe they were going to give her life for Perello. Okay. So she was condemned to serve all of these sentences in um, the Vegivino prison. Um, and during this time, when she was in prison, she was also severely depressed. Um, she tried to, like, kind of do things like painting and, and, you know, things like that, that would, um, like, kind of get her out of it or, like, try to help her a little bit um, because, you know, that's what the treatment was back in the day it was like get some fresh air and exercise yeah um but unfortunately on october 16th 2001 she hung herself with a bed sheet um at 1 50 a.m she was found by a security guard and she was still alive and oh. they rushed her to the emergency room where she died at 2 15 a.m and unfortunately, that is the conclusion to this story. It is not satisfying. It is not fulfilling. I, my heart really goes out to her because, like, I know that she's a murderer. She killed people. She's a serial killer. But, like, the men she did kill were men who were raping her. Yeah. And I just, I feel like if that didn't happen to her, she would have been okay. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously murder is bad, and that's mm-hmm. not the correct response. But yeah. um, <laughs> we here at Grimm do not <laughs> condone murder. Yeah. Don't kill people. Yeah, if she had some help, I feel like it would have been mm-hmm. a lot different of an outcome. 
Yeah. Especially since she was struggling with depression for mm-hmm. such a long time and like alcoholism. Yeah. There were a lot of factors at play there. Um, and I, I, I hope to think that she was also thinking of her kids. Yeah. You know, like, like as a mother, would you want to have her kids in a situation where she's with an abusive man? Yeah. Um, murder is not the right answer. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I, I can't say that I fully blame her. Mm. Yeah. I just really wish that her first husband hadn't died. Like I feel so bad for yeah. him that when she was sick. actually happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to do this to you <laughs> by ending on such a low note and being like, "Hey, Maddie, change the subject." Okay. Um. Well, I am moving into college tomorrow. Exciting. Uh, kind of. I don't <laughs> to leave. I know. I don't really want to leave either. Very sad. But I'll be in my first like apartment, kind of on my own, which is exciting. I can't wait for a full room tour. Oh, it's an apartment tour. Nice at all. <laughs> I don't care. I'm still waiting for one. <laughs> all right, I'll get I'll get you one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, be prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a college dorm. My expectations are already on the floor. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But yeah, um, I don't know. I've just been packing all day, cleaning out my car. Oh, right. You're driving. I keep forgetting. Yeah, I keep forgetting that I'm going to have my car on campus this semester, which is going to be, I think, really nice, but also, like, really weird because I'm going to keep forgetting that, like, I can drive places because I was (laughs) driving home the other day and I was like, is this going to be, like, one of the last times I'm driving for a while? I was like, wait, no, I'm going to have my car. Like, what am I saying? (laughs) No, it's not. I can go places now. No more relying on the train to take you over to our friends. Other universities. The train for that, though. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I don't fair have enough. To deal with driving in Philly. Okay, that makes sense. City but... driving isn't fun. <laughs> but... It could be a solution though, if you wanted to go like at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or yeah. if like you need to go to a grocery store or oh. like, on a hike or something. Oh, oh I can just go. Or like another. Him and you are gonna be vibing. Ride. Oh yeah, we're gonna be going all over the place. <laughs> putting on those miles (laughs) seeing the world until a like mechanic light thing comes on and I'm like oh shit I don't know what to do with that (laughs) never driving again (laughs) oh car is parked on campus (laughs) literally but yeah so that should be should be fun I'm excited for you yeah not excited for the six hour drive but oh yeah yeah. excited to be settled in (laughs) <laughs> Fair. I I honestly I want to skip to that. Yeah, I hate the like packing and unpacking mm-hmm. and settling in. I like to just be settled. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go there and I want to be fine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yes, that's it for me. Do you have anything? Um. Oh, I stopped at Barnes and Noble the other day because oh. they had their fifty percent off sale that was advertised on TikTok, mm-hmm. and so. In my little brain, I was like, I'm going to get some books for 50% off. Mm -hmm. And then I have, like, my little membership thing. So I was like, maybe, maybe I'll get it for 60% off. Oh. And then I went there, and then all the books that were on sale were, like, hardcovers of books that I didn't even want. Oh. And it was so sad. Like, half of them were, like, the second or third book in a series. I was like, what is the point? 
Yeah. So I ended up buying one book for full price. It's fine though. <laughs> they roped you into that one. <laughs> I, I went there and I was like, I can't leave without buying something. I told people yeah. I was going to be buying books. <laughs> Everyone already knows. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I did. I got the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. I think that's oh. the name of it. And I'm very excited. Let me know how um, it is. I've, I've seen that around. Yeah, I constantly. It's like right on the shelf next to the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Oh, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking of. That one was good. That one Have was honestly that one? one of my like five star reads. Ah, like okay, so okay. good. I'll have to add that when I start actually reading books again. <laughs> Back to your TBR. Oh, yeah. Mine is so long. It's ridiculous. Oh, same. Um, yeah. Probably have to bring that one to university with me, along with my copy of The Priory of the Orange Tree, which, like, I don't know if you've seen, but it's, like, thick. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I haven't read well, it yet. We were in a bookstore together, and you pointed it out to me. I was like, you want to <laughs> read that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, but I heard there's dragons. Oh. Okay, that is enticing. Yeah. Well, once I eventually read it, I'll let you know how it is. Yes, I'm going to have to too. lug it. It's like three pounds. I'm going to have to lug that yeah. in my suitcase. Yeah, you really... <laughs> oh, it's going to have to go in my carry-on, too, because if I like put it in my check-in bag, that's going to add oh, weight to it, and I can't afford it. <laughs> I know. What do you have in there? Bricks? No, just a copy of The Priory of the Orange Tree. Giant book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it for me. Me and my books. Well, I love that for you. Do you have anything you want to add or do you want to spiel us out? I can just spiel us out. Nice. So you can find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. You can follow us, DM us, like our photos. And from our profile, there is a button to email us. You can email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us thoughts on stories we have covered or stories you want to hear us cover or little life updates of your own. We also have a Twitter, which is Podcast Grim, and a Facebook, which is Grim Podcast. And other than that, just leave us a good review and tell your friends and family about us. Yeah, and we will see you guys next week. I don't know what the episode is going to be yet, (laughs) but I'm hoping it's less scary than murder. Something a little spooky. Uh, Yeah, spooky, not scary. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And we will see you guys next week. Yeah, stay safe, stay healthy. Bye. Bye.